All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Bottom Line. This is CJ Wilson with Josh Olsewich, and we are joined by Elise Colleen, who is one of the leading venture capitalists in the Bitcoin space. Uh, people don't necessarily think of Bitcoin as a venture capitalist space because it's uh, you know a little bit different than the traditional market fit, a little bit traditional uh, Silicon Valley space. But I think Elise having some uh, some focus on Bitcoin or a lot of focus on Bitcoin makes your experience as a venture capitalist totally fascinating for me because I think it's in, in the space totally, we see crypto get a lot of venture capital uh, ideas. And there's so many cool Bitcoin companies out there, some of those which you're a part of. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story. So uh, where does it all start? You're, uh, are you a native Californian? I am. So I'm from the Bay Area. CJ, it's so great to meet you um, and to be here to talk to you today. Josh, it's really good to see you again. I've been looking forward to being with you guys um, to discuss Bitcoin for quite a while. So it starts for me in California, um, in the Bay Area. I grew up in Silicon Valley, so the home of, I suppose, venture capital and entrepreneurship or the historical home. Of course, um, innovation is much broader than that. I'm in Stone, California. So I started in venture capital about a decade ago, always focused primarily on infrastructure technologies, um, like cloud networking, like um, cybersecurity stuff very early and data science. And as I was doing that, I discovered Bitcoin. This is 2013 timeframe. And I saw Bitcoin first as, an, as a new infrastructure, as a protocol that could be built on top of or alongside with. And specifically what I recognized in Bitcoin was the opportunity for a financial technology that well served poor people and the world's very large um, unbanked and underbanked population. And to me, that was so compelling because it was a chance as a VC to do um, really well while doing good work that you could be proud of. And of course, um, investors in venture capital funds, called limited partners, are actually quite keen to do just that, to produce returns on their capital while helping to build by resourcing companies that can have a positive cultural impact. And Bitcoin is just that. So it, it, it feels like a waste of time, frankly, to spend time or attention on anything else. We, we do, of course, and the reason why is because there's other technologies and other um, innovations and innovators that can have influence or insight that can drive Bitcoin. And so we have to lift our head up sometimes to watch that. But in terms of the focus that we have on founders and on trends and deployment of capital, that has to be Bitcoin. It's the most interesting thing around. And I think certainly the most important innovation that will happen has happened in my lifetime. That was a, that was a great insight right there. And um, I think one of the things that I grasped onto was your, it, one of your initial in, uh, interests was cybersecurity. So let's call it 10 years ago, uh, cybersecurity, a lot of people thought of like hackers just broadly as these kind of nerds in a basement trying to just scramble stuff and like, you know, hack the IRS and like not have to pay taxes or whatever. Um, 2018, Bitcoin's price at this point has been an international conversation. It's broached five figures um, in cybersecurity today. Uh, you, one of the companies that you're part of is Casa, I believe, right? So mm -hmm. um, Casa does uh, multi-sig, which is an awesome security feature that Bitcoin has that you don't get with a lot of other things, especially regular exchanges. Um, 
So in the 10 years or so that you've been involved, there's just sort of like a like a lens of cybersecurity and how it affects, let's say, people's awareness of their own cybersecurity. How do you see Bitcoin improving that in the next five or 10 years um, as more people get onboarded to Bitcoin and, and start to use more things like Casa? Right. So there's some really interesting lessons that we can draw from what happened in the development and adoption of cybersecurity tools to Bitcoin. So rewinding to 2012, 2013, 2014 era, uh, cybersecurity tools in the state that they are today was relatively new. And so it was the introduction of data science um, and machine learning, really artificial intelligence into cybersecurity for the benefit of enterprise. So the very interesting data point of that time was that once an intruder enters an enterprise network, the average number of days that they were in that network before discovery was something like 270 days. So basically they lived there, right? Before the business even knew they were there. Uh, um, and then came along these new tools. So one of the companies that we had the pleasure to back is CrowdStrike. Um, it, it, the now today very successful company. At the time that they were a more early stage company to convince venture capitalists that this market was going to be huge. And indeed these businesses um, you know, that had seemed content to coexist with hackers in their system that actually they were going to shift and they were going to spend money to enhance their operations and um, their, their technical operations really to better serve the business and their customers. And so we, you know, there was, I think in 2016, sort of a wake up call realization that cybersecurity was important. It affected all of us, it affected businesses, governments, um, and of course, end users too, right? So the stories of 2016, 2017, were all about these massive data breaches, right? So Target getting hacked, um, uh, you know, um, Walmart getting hacked, it was just, it was endless. There, there was a shorter list of people that, that their user bases were not breached um, than there was a list of companies that had been breached. And so users had to really, uh, consumers had an impossible time trying to protect their data. But it, it was sort of the um, pain was experienced first before the problem was identified. Now, you know, with Bitcoin, there's a, this really interesting opportunity, which is that everyone has sort of felt the pain of, um, you know, these sort of changing rules about money. We exist within a system um, that's not set up to be transparent, that's not set up for individuals, you know, really to have much influence on. And, and then frankly, conventional banking is frictionful even for people that are very well resourced. So for instance, if on a Sunday evening, you know, your daughter is abroad studying and needs you to send funds, um, you know, you can't do that. The bank is, you know, not going to facilitate your wire at um, 7 p.m. on a Sunday. And so even privileged people have felt the pain of the conventional banking system. And thus comes Bitcoin. And so, and, and sort of breaks all of these rules. It says two things. One is that we can know the rules of the system and software enforce them so that we're a system of rules without rulers. And then it also says this, this network is here for you 24 seven. Um, and so I think it was, you know, it was adoption of Bitcoin and Bitcoin technologies is driven by the fact that the pain point was already apparent to most people. Now, companies like Casa um, make the experience easier and then allow Bitcoin to be more fully used and realized. And what I mean by that is that they take, you know, one of the sort of simple promises of Bitcoin or seemingly simple 
promises, which was you can be your own bank, and then they make it accessible. And so part of what we do at Stillmark is that, is we try to discern the fundamental values and promises of Bitcoin. And if we see a company and a group of founders and operators that can make it more available so that it's not just technical folks that can take advantage, those are the types of companies that we want to back. You've really focused, at least based on your port list recently, kind of on lightning. Was that, was that a decision early on as it was developing? Like, oh, lightning, like this is where we need to focus infrastructure plays or this, these are the up and coming businesses, right? So that's part one. The part two is just beyond lightning now, what do you see like in the future, right? Because you, you're such, you're so good at seeing what's coming before, right? You're, you're skating to the puck constantly before it's there. Um, so what, what else is coming for, for lightning in your eyes? That's the job. That's what we're trying to do. So we have, we, we're investing in two buckets. And the first bucket is the financialization of BTC, the asset. So that's where Causa fits. Or a company, our last investment was in a company called Hoseki, Sam Abbasi from Fidelity, his new company, which is a proof of reserve software. Um, so that would be bucket number one. And by the way, mining companies fit there too. Bucket number two is companies that are doing these sort of moonshot projects building on Lightning. It could be other um, layer two protocols. Tarot companies building with Tarot will fit into the second bucket. And where we've been focused, where the market's been, and, and that's where our focus has been is in infrastructure related companies. So sometimes this can feel a little less um, personal or a little less you know, flashy or relatable, but the, the pieces of um, infrastructure that are really going to affect the day-to-day -day experience of people using Lightning, that's being built now. Um, and so we've been really heads down trying to focus on that. So an example in our portfolio would be Lightning Labs, Voltage or Amboss technologies. All of these companies are building critical infrastructure that has driven adoption. So for instance, with the $30 airdrop in El Salvador that happened last year, essentially all of that economic activity was happening on top of Lightning Labs implementation of the Lightning Network LND. And then of course, Lightning Labs liquidity tools help facilitate ease of use of the network. Um, a company that we backed because of the experience of El Salvador and the development of um, secure, stable infrastructure to drive the economic activity is Ibex Mercado. So it's looking at Lightning Network infrastructure for businesses that will adopt Lightning. And in particular, those brick and mortar businesses um, you know, that, that people are spending their $30 airdrop in El Salvador at, for example. So it was, I, I like to say that we're, instead of a Bitcoin fund, we're actually a generalist fund within the Bitcoin space. So we're doing, you know, top to bottom, all of it, all of it that's happening in Bitcoin right now. But, but we have to take, you know, this sort of three-year snapshot of where the industry is with each fund cycle. So for fund one, where the industry was, was introducing these basic tools to financialize BTC, the asset, and then the infrastructure play around Lightning and you know the early sort of preparatory steps for Tarot's impact on Lightning. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because what I'm hearing a lot uh, from, from you in general and, and the pre-show as well is that you have to have a very particular low time preference um, not only to predict, like Josh was saying, of where things are going to go, but you also have to sort of ride the volatility of the market growth cycle out, which is 
very much traditional VC, right? You're thinking, uh, hey, we're going to put money into this company. We're going to help them uh, grow. We're going to give them some some coaching, whatever it is, and provide them with some even some market fit. And that's going to take four or five years or something like that. We're still so early with Bitcoin. There's so few people using Bitcoin. I mean, relative to like, let's say, smartphone use or something like that. Um, so it seems to me like taking a really big step back, there's still so much growth potential for the broad market. But picking the winners early is a challenge of, of uh, I would say, you know, of any venture that you make, any investment, right? Any investor looking to get in early. Um, how would you say that confidence in the founders changes from traditional VC to Bitcoin ventures? And, you know, some of the some of the names that you're using, like Amboss and uh, Lightning Labs and stuff, they have some some all star rock star people working for them. Um but you don't see people necessarily making like exits in Bitcoin, right? Is that so? How do you define success along that same time frame or, or with those same those same kind of lenses that you're looking at things through? You know, so we are traditional in our venture capital practice. So we're just a conventional VC fund that has a specialized knowledge in Bitcoin and then a focus on Bitcoin. The venture life cycle. It, starting at seed stage it's about you know it can be a seven to 12 year cycle to go from seed stage to exit especially if the target exit is to the public markets mm -hmm. and so bitcoin you know companies and entrepreneurship is relatively new right we're we're kind of we're at the stage now where the first mature bitcoin companies are you know growth stage right or the first growth stage bitcoin companies are just emerging mm -hmm. um so i expect that we will see those exits but it takes time it's not and the reason why is because in bitcoin when we invest we're investing for equity we're not mm -hmm. investing to purchase tokens um and where the market is immediately liquid and then of course that exit is not based on the appreciation of enterprise or equity value right um, instead, what it's based on is sort of this community excitement. And so, um, it, you know, you're immediately liquidating a return cycle is more similar to a hedge fund play than a venture capital play, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but certainly the founders in this space are very strong. The, tech, the smartest um, technologists in the world, the smartest engineers in the world are in Bitcoin. I've, uh, you know, been really lucky over the past decade of experience in venture to work with just brilliant, brilliant engineers. And when I saw in, you know, maybe 2013, 2014, in the really early days of my participation in the space, when I saw the type of talent that existed in the space technically and what their motivations were, it was obvious that you should be spending time in the space. And so when you can get someone with such a brilliant mind um, for technology and for financial technology specifically, and then see them driven by a mission, to offer you know free and fair open finance to the world it, it's kind of a no-brainer to spend time and um to work to invest here and so to me it was an obvious play now of course the technology um asks you to believe in a paradigm that's entirely different from other tech cycles so in prior cycles the the play was to accumulate power to centralize power to accumulate data and centralized data Bitcoin is something different. And so I think for VCs to switch from the old paradigm to the new paradigm and to get confidence that large companies could be built and that enterprise value could be accrued uh, was difficult. And that was the opportunity for Stillmark, right? Was to 
um, not be adherent to an old school VC mindset, but to apply, you know, the tools and the framework of traditional venture, which work really incredibly well to bolster founders to apply that to a new paradigm. And so, you know, that's the goal at Stillmark. It's sort of to do nothing fancy on the venture side. It's just to be open to the existence of um, a paradigm introduced by Satoshi and this new technology. Does that answer your question, CJ? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's interesting because the one thing like when you're, I, I wrote down when you're talking about that, the traditional venture f for the last 20 years has been like, find a, find market fit that you can build a moat around, right? And so you can sort of protect your business by building a moat that will make it harder for other people to sort of emulate or copy or whatever. But with Bitcoin and the decentralization of everything, it's almost like the mission is to build something unkillable. And by having it so distributed and have so many people using it potentially, um, that's that's the sort of thing. It's because it's not anywhere, right? It's sort of you're building something that's a lot more intangible to an attacker um, or to a competitor. Um, and so it's like the, the first companies that have gone public have been exchanges, right? We've seen some exchanges go public and stuff like that. And obviously there's been some investors who profited very well because of IPOs for mining stocks or, you know, Coinbase or whatever it was. Um, but I think these other use cases or infrastructure plays, you know, the, the, the multi-sig companies, the security-based companies, that's what people really need. That's what they want in Bitcoin, right? They, they don't just need to be their own vault, right? They need to be their own financial system. If, they, if they're going to be their own bank, a bank is loans, a bank is proof of funds, right? A bank is uh, remittances anytime you want. A bank is tangible, like transaction speed and stuff like that. So I think there's, and there's, there's obviously a lot of people doing that. I just on my phones, I think I have 11 or 12 different Bitcoin apps. You know, I have access to lots of different. Which Bitcoin. ones do you, what, what are you using? So, um, you know, I trade, uh, I, there's an exchange that I trade on, on my phone. Um, Binance US, and then I, uh, I use Cash App, I use Strike, uh, I use, I, I have an account with Unchained, I've done loans with Unchained, um, I have uh, some other like wallet and validator type things on there, I just have to like click through this really quick and see, I have a couple price monitors because I trade, so I'll look at like this, there's this app called HODL, I have a slush pool account, I have the app for that, um, so like all sorts of stuff, River as well, so one of the things is that as a um, as like a, I was a traditional equity investor. I would like day trade and stuff like that. I've always been like very interested in gold for the, the scarcity and the tangibility and the fungibility of that. Um, but Bitcoin to me, when I discovered it, it's, it's sort of like was better versions of all these other things. And it's 24 yeah. seven, like you said. So I, I think that the best Bitcoin companies are sort of unkillable because even if they have a structure of a CEO and a, you know, technical officers and stuff like that, they, they produce something that kind of almost like an AI, like a sentient AI that just continues to grow on its own because we're so early in two or 3% worldwide adoption, right? We still have yeah. billions of people to onboard to Bitcoin. So Bitcoin right. success is, is billions and billions served. Whereas like the company success is like being the best version of that product that they use the best app or something. So I, I just, it's really interesting because it's like having a seven or 12 year time cycle in like a 24 seven market. Uh, you have to have like this, this Zen, like ability to block out price, right? Because we were talking about that in the pre-show. So how do you do that? Right. Well, there's opportunities in the bear market. And mm -hmm. so, you know, in some ways we look forward to being present 
um, in a bear market. And so let me just give you a quick example. In a bull market, it's really for companies about just keeping up, just keeping their heads above water and onboarding and serving users. Mm -hmm. In a bear market, it's the time to sort of filter through the metrics, see what worked, what didn't work, adjust your product roadmap accordingly, and then build. Now, a great example of this you can see in what Lightning Labs is doing to develop Taro. So Taro is a direct response to emerging market adoption of Lightning mm -hmm. in 2021, most notably El Salvador. And you know, that was catalyzed, adoption was catalyzed by an airdrop. Now, one of the things that was learned and maybe controversially so, and I'm CJ and Josh, I'm interested in your opinion on this, but one of the things that was learned in El Salvador and other emerging markets was that for low, lower socioeconomic status populations, Lightning Network is a total no-brainer. The technology is easy to use. It gives them access to um, a global economy, really, for the first time. Fantastic. However, the volatility of BTC is very difficult. If you're making a couple hundred dollars a month and your expenses range you know, between $10 more than you have and $10 less than you have any one month, you know, 20% price movements, 5% price movements really matter. And so for those folks, being able to use Lightning Network without being forced to experience Bitcoin's volatility is really meaningful and Tarot is a reaction to that. Mm -hmm. So Lightning Labs was able to look at the data, not just in El Salvador, but in other markets where un and underbanked people are being served by Lightning Network, take the feedback, iterate and produce Tarot, which will allow stable coins to be exchanged on Lightning Network everywhere um, but where the need is most acute, of course, is in emerging markets. That sort of building, to have the opportunity to build that in a bear market, I think is just really fortunate and beautiful. The timing is auspicious. Um, and so the Lightning Labs team can really be heads down on advancing tarot and preparation um, to onboard new users in emerging markets, which doesn't have to be done in a bull market, by the way, because it's not driven by folks speculating on the price. It's driven by folks that need access to the economy. And that's a great incentive for Lightning Network adoption. Now, something that might not be obvious is that once you have a Lightning wallet on your phone because you're transacting USDT um, on Lightning Network, you now have a Lightning wallet on your phone, right? And so I think it could be a bit of a Trojan horse opportunity to get BTC and SATs to folks. Mm -hmm. um, that can decide how to split their money into, you know, a hot wallet, their spending account, and, um, you know, squirrel a little away for savings too in BTC. Mm -hmm. um, all of this to be done in a bear market, I think, is, you know, a really fortunate opportunity for us. And there's, there's a, tarot is just a great example, but there's other examples of that too. And so I know that you know, it's not just me that's thinking this, but one of the, you know, most popular sentiments that you hear from Bitcoin founders is, you know, thank goodness for the bear market that brings a reduction in the noise produced by altcoin spaces and an opportunity for us just to be heads down and build. Yeah, for yeah. a lot of people in the US, you know, Bitcoin is uh, investing, right? But, but for emerging markets, obviously it's more on the payment side, more on like the banking side too. So the tarot, tarot angle makes sense. You know, my fear is that this is the slippery slope towards CBDCs, which are coming eventually anyway. So, you know, it kind of is what it is, uh, especially in emerging markets. We're already seeing it in a lot of places. 
So there are issues with that, obviously, but you know, if, if you want an exit, that's not uh, Bitcoin, that's not a CBDC eventually, you know, it's going to be something like Taro where you have that opportunity to transact with a stablecoin in some way. So, you know, well, and invariably those stable coins are going to be more stable than an emerging market sovereign currency, right? So you're going to yeah. have, whether it's uh, Lebanon or Turkey or Yemen or some one of these, any of these places in, in Africa that have experienced hyperinflation, you're, you're probably better off holding a, a stable coin pegged to sats somehow, or just, you know, using sats as the, as the sort of, as the sort of plumbing. Um, because yeah, who, who wants to hold, you know, Nigerian Naira long-term, like a seven-year contract holding that. That's dangerous. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, Bitcoin's bear market filters out so much hopium that it forces people to look at things as they are and not these crazy price predictions and stuff. And so that it's, it's actually, this is my, my second bear market that I've, that I've experienced in, at this point. Um, so I'm really excited actually in a lot of weird ways because I'm like looking at the filtration, I'm looking at the breakdown of the, the sort of hero status from some people that are like, basically trying to out chat each other in the uh, in the, the bull economy. They're trying to show how much they're spending, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, how good are you at, at stuff? You know, the writers are going to write more. The um, the the builders are going to build harder. They're going to build deeper and, and, and stronger technology because it's like really that's how you survive and thrive and sort of lever into the next positive cycle. But it's, it's funny because so many Bitcoiners are like, oh, the price is in the toilet or the price is in the moon. And that's why they're happy. Right. Whereas I think on the business side of it, at least like what you guys are doing, um, you're involved with people that are making Bitcoin successful based on adoption and the, let's say, graphic interface and the user experience for all the people that are using Bitcoin, which is like, that's how we get a billion people. It's not because price goes to uh, uh, 150,000 and then suddenly everybody FOMOs and YOLOs into it because then it could just crack right back down. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, if it's easy to use and if it, if it fits your lifestyle and you're a hot dog vendor in Guatemala or you're uh, an artist or a musician in, you know, Suriname or Venezuela or whatever, can you get paid in sats or, you know, USDT or something like that. And then how much better are you than holding boulevards or some sort of peso, you know, in your life? And yeah. that's, that's the bullishness that I have personally is I, I think people like you are making it possible because you're investing in people that are talented and you're, you're giving them the gasoline to drive into the, the further horizon, you know, with yeah. having that five year commitment or whatever it is, 10 year commitment. So here's how we think about it. We think about venture capital as just being resources to help founders accelerate where they're going. Mm -hmm. And so these are we're, we're normally backing folks that are going to get there anyway. And then hopefully with us through capital and you know sometimes with network introductions and support from prior lessons learned from working with hundreds of companies, the founders can build quicker. Now, from a Bitcoin perspective, there's one other nuance, and CJ, you pointed it out, which is that if we do good work, I hope that that means that adoption is catalyzed, So, and also the utility set that's offered of Bitcoin expands. And so my hope is that if we do good work, the fundamental value of Bitcoin can be increased. Mm -hmm. and, and we know historically that as adoption grows, the price of BTC appreciates too. And so sometimes in the Bitcoin community, we've heard um, when venture capital is discussed, we hear this question around, 
you know, can money put into a venture capital fund be the returns of BTC over that mm -hmm. same period? But I think that fundamentally misses the point. We're not trying to do that. We're actually trying to like sort of, you know, drive the returns of BTC. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, but fundamentally add value by helping grow adoption. And like I said, expand the breadth of what you can do with Bitcoin, what you can do with Lightning Network, um, et cetera. And so my hope is, you know, that our good work in some way sort of helps BTC beat the returns that are possible through any venture capital fund. Um, you know, and then the best way, of course, to participate if you are investing in a venture capital fund is to do that while also holding Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to sort of hedge yourself. And I think the, the, the idea of doing multiple things is sort of the thing that we have to discuss, uh, maybe to close it out, which is that there's a lot of Bitcoiners that are maximalists that are just like, oh, everything else is trash. Okay. And that's not necessarily a productive mindset. I think what makes sense to say is that, you know, because we have to eat at a restaurant, because we have to shop for things, there are going to be best versions of all these other services that we experience right now. The, the goal is to get Bitcoin, you know, meshed into those things so that if I'm going to Whole Foods and I want to buy, you know, some local, I don't know, whatever, some meat or something like that, I can get that from a farmer that's keeping his money in Bitcoin, right? And then that's just going to be sort of like the, the de facto situation that in a couple more years, more people will be holding it because it's a better way to hold money because of inflation and all these other things. I think the... Onboarding normal businesses to Bitcoin requires the financial tools and the interface and the usability so that as a company, you maybe have a indicator to say, hey, I should hold this much of my treasury in Bitcoin or something like that. And we've seen people like Sailor go all in uh, effectively, but the ranchers and the, the guy that sells the iron to make fences and the carpenter and you know, the donut shop and stuff like that, those people need to have a chance to do it with that because they don't have the cancel on effect of being able to borrow against a bunch of Bitcoin, right? So they have to do it on a micro level and only through lightning can we do that, I think. That's something like a lightning maxi. But I also think it's important as an investor myself to say, I'm going to look at the broad thing and say, okay, well, companies like Apple or Amazon or whatever, they're still going to be successful regardless of their kind of exposure to Bitcoin. But we're looking for like the the Apple of Bitcoin, the, uh, you know, the Nike of Bitcoin. We're looking for the monster energy of Bitcoin or whatever it is and, and seeing those those things pop up um, the same way that there's multiple competitors in the fast food space or something. There's going to be multiple competitors in hardware wallets or multiple competitors yeah. for exchanges or cybersecurity. So I do think that what you're doing is good. I do think that it's great to be aligned with somebody that's, uh, you know, ideologically like uh, translatable, you know, because I think the venture side of things sometimes comes across as antithetic to Bitcoin, but being venture within Bitcoin and doing Bitcoin venture stuff is super fascinating for me. It's something that I haven't really, I, I've got, I've got early investments in like a couple companies, but, um, it's, it, for me, it's, it's because I believe in the, in the possibilities of the network, but the same thing with you, I'm sure it's the founders are going to get there anyways. You just want to be a part of that success and, and, you know, a catalyst to that success. So, um, and, and I guess, uh, along the way, not, not losing track of the fact that this is a, a five year, a 10 year, a 15 year cycle that we're on, you know, on earth, not just, uh, prices crazy this week, you know, and that's, that's the hardest thing that I think Josh and I have to deal with, which is 
a lot of our yeah. friends are probably like, hey, why is why is Bitcoin nineteen thousand? Why is it twenty? Why is it sixty? You know, and answering price questions as opposed to adoption questions, which are way more fun. I like the adoption stuff. Yeah, I think that's that's very well said. Um, venture cap Bitcoin is perfectly Bitcoin companies are perfectly suited to venture capital. Um, you know, I my hope is that. Bitcoin founders continue to get this sort of attention, focus, and resources that have been growing over these past, say, 18 months. That's what we're seeing inbound for our portfolio companies. Um, the bear market, I think we'll continue to see that. By the way, a little like look behind the curtain. Since the bear market started, we've gotten even more inbound from generalist VC funds that have been distracted by altcoin, the promise of DeFi, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know, sort of like this vaporware tech that can seem really flashy and appealing in a bull market. When it's not, as you said before, people start to question the intrinsic, um, you know, happenings of the tech and the intrinsic opportunities, and they tend to turn towards Bitcoin. That's what we're seeing. Our job in the bear market, of course, is to help explain, to create a greater, um, you know, a greater filter for noise for people so that the signal comes through. And I'm glad to be talking to you all during this period because I know that that's sort of your business as well. Um, and so let's make best use of this bear market. Like yeah, let's let's all become better Bitcoiners in this bear market. How about that? Let's, <laughs> that's the plan. Cool. Well, um, Elise, I know you got to run. You got another call uh, coming up soon. But um, the last question I want to ask you is, on the um, on the DeFi side of things, with Bitcoin used as collateral, Bitcoin has been called pristine collateral. Do you guys uh, try to advise any sort of risk management to the companies that you advise in terms of how much Bitcoin to hold versus how much to sell for maybe mining companies or something like that? Because we've seen some mining companies have to capitulate recently. So is that a question that is popping up right now with some of the funds you guys or some of the companies you're talking to? Treasury, treasury management strategy is important for all companies, of course, and it's more complex for a company that includes a digital asset and Bitcoin in their treasury. Um, so there's certainly an opportunity for best practices to still be set. That said, I've seen for the companies that we've worked with both in the portfolio and external to the portfolio, I've, I've seen mostly a net benefit of BTC being in the treasury in a responsible way. And that, of course, if it's placed in the treasury during a bear market and then appreciates over the course of a bull market, companies can, in a non-dilutive way, extend their runway. Mm -hmm. And so I think for the industry as a whole, it's been a net benefit. But then, of course, it's your risk as a company is denominated in dollars because we're not in the Bitcoin denominated world yet. And then mm -hmm. for that reason, you need to make sure that your exposure to Bitcoin as a company um, matches your risk profile, your risk in operating. And so, you know, I, I think what's begun emerging as a best standard is to, depending on where the macro environment is, to hold somewhere between 12 and 24 months of runway and cash, mm. and then to diversify the treasury into Bitcoin beyond that. But then, of course, that places you in a position where you're continuing, continually needing, depending on growth and your revenue, um, to liquidate your Bitcoin position to bolster your cash runway. And so there's some complexity to this. But Bitcoin founders, because they have not sort of been um, coddled by these massive venture capital funds that have this push to deploy dollars, 
it's never, we've never been in an environment where cash is, um, you know, ultra easy to come by for Bitcoin founders. And because of that, I think that we have some really, really responsive financial managers at the helm of, of Bitcoin companies as a general rule. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's as perfect as we can sum it up right there. That was, that was fantastic. I like that. I like that metric too, because if you have, if you have a cash runway and, a, and then you can sort of supplement Bitcoin, you're protected if Bitcoin does run to the, you know, to the upside, because then it makes your books look better. Um, and, you know, the good thing is if you're denominating your business in dollars, in the meantime, you have to pay salary in dollars and stuff like that, then, you know, you can always buy more Bitcoin if you feel like it. Right. Um, that's with if you have, you know, a lot of revenue coming in, too. So that's what we try to do at work. If we uh, if we have too big of a month or too much profit, it's like, hey, let's buy some Bitcoin and try to add to the Bitcoin, make the Bitcoin trade a one way thing, you know, so that right. eventually we're protected for that upside. But I know you got to run. At least it was awesome having you on the Bitcoin bottom line. I enjoy following you on uh, on Twitter and I uh, look forward to your other interviews and stuff like that as you're kind of getting the good word out there about Bitcoin companies. So thank you for what you do in the space and providing the fuel for these awesome companies that are going to make our Bitcoin future better. And, thank you Elise, so much for having me. Where else can we find more about you and uh, Stillmark? So Twitter works, although um, I suppose I'm not there much, but Elise Colleen um, is my Twitter handle. And then Stillmark is just stillmark.com. We have uh, an email address there for founders to reach out and we're, we're always available. We're really keen to talk to folks building in the space, regardless of how early they are in, in that process. Awesome. Cool. You're awesome, guys. Thank you for having me. All right. And thanks everybody for joining us on the Bitcoin Bottom Line. Uh, check us out on Twitter and we will uh, be interviewing more awesome people in the Bitcoin space as we go.